Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Well, hello, Eastlake Church. My name is Dave, and it is fun to be joining you today on video. For the last several years, I've actually joined you at least once a year, and uh, that's because I have a connection with Pastor Brent and Kylie, and absolutely love Eastlake Church. Love them, but love Eastlake Church as well. I've been tracking with you since the beginning. My name uh, is Dave, and there's not much you really need to know about me, all right? And so uh, I have been married for 26 years. I have three children. Um, I pastor Great Lakes Church in Southeast Wisconsin, which just as a side note, if you have never been to Southeast Wisconsin, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to trust me. It is a tropical paradise, all right? You need to come visit sometime. It is like the San Diego of the Midwest. But uh, here's the deal. When, When you were born, you were given a name. I think I've said it twice already. My name is Dave, right? Uh, And your name is an incredible part of your identity. That's how people recognize you. You know this, that that names uh, often have meanings. They have cultural meanings, they have historical meanings, sometimes they have very personal meanings to the family. Your name not only identifies you, but it identifies uh, you to a certain family, especially your last name. So if I said, well, my last name is Kardashian, or it's Musk, or it's Vanderbilt, or it's Hitler. Man, you are going to form an idea about me without even knowing me, right? Names identify us. And as people grow in power and fame and influence, what often happens is how we know them, their name specifically, starts to evolve, right? For example, Cassius Clay ended up becoming Muhammad Ali, right? Marshall Mathers III, anybody know? Eminem, Calvin Brodus Jr., it's a little bit more challenging, became Snoop Dogg. Uh, Stephanie Joanne, Angelina Germanata became Lady Gaga, uh, Belkalis Almanzar. If you know that one, you are absolutely cultured more than anyone else in the Tri-Cities area. It is Cardi B. All right? So that's a pretty big level of fame when you are known by someone different than your birthday. But then there's a completely different category of fame, and that's when you're known by your first name. When people can just say Bono, and we know who they're talking about, or Oprah, or Rihanna, or Tiger, or Drake, or Brent. Right? Everybody knows, okay, we know who we're talking about, right? That is a category of fame. Then there's a completely different category of fame that these people are in a different stratosphere. These are people who are not even known by their names. They're known by titles, right? For example, The Rock is Dwayne Johnson, right? The Duke for you old-timers, John Wayne, The Boss, Bruce Springsteen, right? The King, Jesus. If you said Elvis, you're wrong. It is Jesus every single time. It's going to be about Jesus when we're talking about a king. And the reason I bring this up is I want to actually very specifically today talk about Jesus. Not what Jesus taught, not what Jesus did. I want to talk about who Jesus is. And I think you know this, that when we're talking about Jesus, we are talking about the most significant person in the history of the world. Right, so when we read through the 66 manuscripts that make up our Bible, we read through these different documents, and we uh, start to look at the names and the titles of Jesus. There's more than a couple hundred of them, because there's not a single name or title that captures who Jesus is. He is the King of Kings. Right? He is the Lord of Lords. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the first and the last. He's the mighty God. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the rock. He's the shelter. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the Holy One. He's the creator of all things. 
And that is just the start of the list. When we look at what Matthew, one of his disciples, writes about him, he actually references a Jewish prophet from hundreds of years earlier. Here's what he writes. He says, and his name, that's the name of Jesus, will be the hope of all the world. So Jesus has a name that is above every other name. And when, the more we learn about Jesus, the more we understand why he is called the hope of the world. Now, one of my favorite podcasts, and I listen to all types of podcasts, but one of my favorite uh, podcasts is how I built this with Guy Ross. And it's a podcast in which Guy, uh, the host, interviews different innovators and entrepreneurs and dreamers and talks about uh, how they built their company. He says, share your story with us. And all the stories seem to have this common thread that these uh, companies start to take off, but then they uh, early on um, start to run into struggles and problems. And it looks like they're going to go bankrupt. looks like they're going to have to shut down the company. And then at the last minute, somehow uh, something happens where the company has a breakthrough moment, and they survive. And uh, I could list the different companies that I've heard interviewed on the podcast, and you've heard, you've heard of the companies, right? They're, 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 they're big and powerful and strong companies. Well, the reason I bring this up is I wish Guy Raz had the opportunity to interview Jesus. Because when we think about uh, an organization, when we think about something that literally had no reason to take off, and had all of the hurdles in the world, but then it had breakthrough moments. Uh, that is the movement Jesus started. It is the biggest movement in the history of the world. And, and 2,000 years ago, when his followers stood around the cross looking at their crucified leader, it was just a small movement with a handful of people at the time. And for all practical purposes, it looked like it was over. But of course, it was just the beginning. And we look back passed over the, two, the last 2,000 years, and, and it's just obvious that there's nothing that's been able to stop the movement that Jesus started. Scandal hasn't stopped it. Persecution hasn't stopped it. Theological controversy hasn't stopped it. Bad teaching hasn't stopped it. Poor leadership hasn't stopped it. Cheesy films with Kirk Cameron haven't stopped it, right? Pandemics haven't stopped it. And so Jesus is in a category all by himself. And that's why ever since the first century, people have been fascinated with Jesus. Now, when a group of people become fascinated with someone, I'm not talking about one individual's obsessed and, you know, stalks an individual. I'm talking about when a group, when a crowd of people becomes fascinated with someone, often what happens is rumors and myths and legends and superstitions start to attach themselves to that person. So I know this sounds odd, but when I was growing up, one of the rumors that I heard was that Walt Disney, after he died, he was buried underneath Disneyland or Disney World and he was cryogenically frozen and that they're just waiting on technology to be able to somehow bring Walt Disney back to life. And I had to Google it uh, to see, uh, did that actually happen? And it won't surprise you, no, it didn't. And of course, rumors all over the years that Elvis is still alive. And so here's the deal, in the first century, as Jesus is gaining influence, as he's gaining power and momentum, people start to talk about him. And there's lots of questions, there's lots of confusion and rumors about who Jesus really was. And so one day, Jesus is taking a walk with his disciples, and he turns towards them, and he asks a question. He says, hey, who do people say that I am? Now, I gotta tell you, I am not secure enough in myself to ever ask my friends that question, because my biggest fear is they're going to say, uh, Dave, nobody's talking about you, get over yourself, right? But, but Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? What's, what's the word on the street about me? And his disciples, as they open up and they share with him uh, the different views and opinions people have of him, they, they say things like, well, some think you're a prophet. Some think you're a holy man. Some think that uh, you're a historical figure. 
And they're actually attaching names to these different descriptions. And then after giving these different views that people have on them to Jesus, here's what we read. Then Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? That is the most important question any of us can ever answer. Who is Jesus? So back in January of 2007, there was this middle-aged man who made his way up an escalator at a busy subway station in Washington, D.C. He uh, is carrying a violin. He uh, opens it up, takes out the violin, puts the case down and, and positions it to start receiving donations. Then he leans against the wall, it's right next to a trash bin, and he starts to play his violin. Classical music, really, really amazing violin player. And so people would stop uh, and they would watch him, never so much that a crowd would gather. Uh, but more than a thousand people passed by in, in a 45 minute time span again, would smile at him and some people would tip him. And so after 45 minutes, he stops playing. And he had collected $32 in donations. Now, what not a single person noticed in those 45 minutes is that this 39-year-old man wearing jeans, t-shirt, and a hat was Joshua Bell. He's an internationally acclaimed musician who's played in some of the greatest venues in the world. Matter of fact, just a few days prior to this happening, he had played at Boston Symphony Hall at $100 a seat, packed the place out. All right, so this guy was good. And he was actually playing on a 300-year-old Stradivarius violin worth $3.5 million. Now, the reason he did this is all part of a story and an experiment the Washington uh, Post was running to show how easy it is to become so preoccupied and busy and limited by our own stereotypes, in this case, the stereotype of a subway uh, musician, but that we really don't give that musician or that person a second chance. Right, a, glance, a second glance, actually. Well, later on, after the story came out, Joshua Bell uh, made it clear that he's actually going back uh, to the subway and holding the concert. And after it was clear uh, who he was, right, the place was packed. Now, the reason I'm telling you this story is because regardless of how much you know about Jesus or have heard about Jesus or learned about Jesus... The reality is all of us can become so preoccupied and busy and limited by our own stereotypes that often we don't recognize the real Jesus. I'm sure you know this, that there is a growing amount of people in our country right now who are deconstructing um, their faith. It's just another way of saying people are taking inventory of their faith. They're asking a whole lot of questions. They're finding some inconsistencies and their, their faith paradigm is being shed. So some are walking away. And uh, I, I understand why people would do this. And I think one of the main reasons people are doing this, part of the, the problem, is because often what happens is instead of focusing on Jesus and, and putting our eyes on Jesus, we, we focus on a lot of other things like our hurts and our pains and some of the experiences or some of the, the assumptions we have and things like that. But then when we try to focus on Jesus, we don't even know what we're trying to look at because uh, we have so many different ideas that have been presented to us on who Jesus is, right? That's why you ask 10 different people who Jesus is, you're likely to get 10 different answers. Some are going to say, well, he's a historical figure, right? He's, he's a good man. He's a revolutionary. Some might say he's God. He's a, he's a teacher. When, when it comes to Jesus, there's so many different ideas that have been formed and shaped in our mind because there's all types of factors that are doing it, right? So, so let's just talk for a few minutes here about how our view of Jesus is being shaped. Uh, number one, probably the biggest factor, 
culture. Right? It seems like every musician, every band has written a song about Jesus. Green Day, Carrie Underwood, U2, Kanye. Right? The list goes on and on and on. And then on top of that, uh, it, those that haven't written songs about Jesus, when they receive an award, they often reference Jesus. There's lots of TV shows and movies that reference Jesus. If you've ever seen the very emotional and moving classic, Talladega Nights, you know that Ricky Bobby, played by Will Ferrell, he refers to Jesus in his prayer as eight pounds, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus in Golden Fleece diapers. Right, so culture influence it. Lots of people wear t-shirts and sweatshirts that reference Jesus. There's all sorts of trinkets that advertise Jesus, bobbleheads, action figures, mugs, bumper stickers. On top of that, more than 17,000 books have been written about Jesus. Every year, magazines want to throw Jesus on their cover because they know it's going to give them a boost. And probably the biggest way that culture influences our view of Jesus, and this isn't taboo culture, and I, you know, I, I don't like to talk negatively about culture because culture is what it is, but we do live in a very me-centered society. And so what often happens is when we read about Jesus or hear about Jesus or consider Jesus, we filter Jesus through uh, how this is going to benefit me. And if we don't like it, then we kind of twist and form Jesus into an image that we most identify with. That's just part of culture, right? Uh, another big factor of how we see Jesus, religion. Right? Different religions teach different things about Jesus. Islam is going to say that Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't God. Uh, Buddhism is going to teach that Jesus was an enlightened man, but he wasn't God. Judaism is going to teach Jesus was a great teacher, but he wasn't God. Hinduism is going to say Jesus was an enlightened man, he was a holy man, but he was just one of many, many, many gods. And so our faith background shapes how we uh, view Jesus. Another big factor, family and friends. Right? So this makes sense. The people we grew up with, uh, they're going to influence how we see Jesus. If they were indifferent, that's going to impact us. If they had fear of Jesus, right, fear of God, that's going to impact us. If they saw Jesus as, like, their good friend, right, I've, I've seen uh, ladies wearing a t-shirt from time to time, Jesus is my boyfriend. You know, that's going to impact how we view Jesus. Now, I personally, I grew up in a church that I think was a relatively healthy church. It was a good church. I, I feel blessed to have grown up in that environment, but they did not get everything right about Jesus, right? Not every church is going to be as theologically accurate as Eastlake is on all issues, right? Now, of course, we're all, we, we all got a little something that uh, we get inaccurate, and they're, the way they presented Jesus, I'm confident it was totally unintentional. I don't think they ever really meant to do it. I just, I, I just don't. But it was like, hey, Jesus loves you. He died for you. And, and, and because of that, now what you need to do is you need to spend your life in service to him, telling as many people as you can about him. And man, if you work really hard, you can be the next apostle Paul. You can be the disciple Peter. You can be like Moses. Unintentionally, the focus became on what I can do for Jesus rather than what Jesus has done for me. I got to tell you, having tracked with East Lake Church since the day you started, I, I love this church for many reasons, but one of the reasons I love this church is this church is always going to put a spotlight on Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And this church doesn't get caught up in all of the different polarization, uh, polarizing issues of society, right? They, uh, it's a church that uh, from day one has just said, hey, we are going to be all about Jesus, all because of Jesus, all through Jesus, all for Jesus. I mean, ultimately, that's what it's about. There is no one who comes close to Jesus uh, in influence. 
Right? The disciple John, he writes an entire manuscript filled with 21 chapters about Jesus, and he gets to the end of his book, and here's what he writes. He says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Now, it'd be easy to say, come on, John, what you wrote, that's hyperbole, that's exaggeration. But here we are, come on, 2,000 years later. And regardless of where you are on your faith journey and regardless of what your particular view is of Jesus, I think we can all agree that his influence on this planet is unmatched. And it doesn't make sense. Right? Two and a half people, billion, two and a half billion people today would say, uh, I am a follower of Jesus. We hold his name in high regard. And it doesn't make sense because when Jesus was born, the name Jesus wasn't some holy, revered name. The name Jesus was a common name. It actually comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means to deliver or to rescue. So Yeshua is Jesus or Joshua. It means God is our Savior, just a common name. And then when we look at the resume of Jesus, he didn't have a great resume. He's born in Bethlehem. Right? It makes Walla Walla look like a booming metropolis. That's where Jesus was born. He spent the first 30 years of his life as a carpenter working alongside his dad. Never traveled more than... 200 miles from home, never married, never had any children, never held political office, never ran a large company, never made lots of money, never wrote any books, and yet he is the most influential, significant person in the history of the world. So influential that we divide our calendar by him, B.C., before Christ, A.D., which is Latin, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Our biggest holidays, Christmas and Easter, not Groundhog's Day, but Christmas and Easter, all about Jesus. More songs have been sung about him, more paintings painted of him, more books written about him than anyone who's lived in the history of the world. And so naturally, if you ask someone who Jesus is, you're not going to have a shortage of answers. People have opinions about Jesus. He's, we, 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 and our opinions have been shaped by culture, by religion, by family and friends, by personality. It's been shaped by our experiences, our hurts. It's shaped by the questions and doubts that we have. And so it is easy to walk right by Jesus. It is easy to read very clearly about Jesus and yet still miss him. And so how do we discover Jesus? Well, I think the best way to learn about Jesus is to listen to and pay attention to what Jesus says about himself. Right? So Jesus, he made all sorts of claims about who he was. This is who I am. This is who I am. And John, one of the disciples, we referenced John earlier, he actually records some of the claims for us. In a manuscript he writes in the first century, here are some of the things that Jesus claimed. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Later on, Jesus said this. He says, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Uh, and another occasion, Jesus said, I am the gate. Those who come through me will be saved. In another instance, here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. On another occasion, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And then after having a final meal with his disciples, Jesus looks to them and says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. So over and over and over, Jesus would say, this is who I am. And we could dismiss his claims and we could say, well, he needs a psychological evaluation, right? Because he's, he's, he's saying some pretty excessive things. But I just got to tell you, based on the magnitude of his impact, we ought to consider what he's saying. Because Jesus isn't like the leader of so many religions that say, uh, I am from God. Jesus actually makes the claim, I am God. And anyone throughout history who's made the claim, I am God, 
has you know been able to hold together a few marginalized group of people, right? Maybe 50, 100, maybe a couple hundred, maybe even a couple thousand. But Jesus, 2,000 years after claiming who he was, has two and a half billion people pledging allegiance to him. And so let's just not dismiss his claim. Let's consider. Now, we obviously don't have time today to focus on everything Jesus said. So I just want to take the rest of the time and I want to focus on one very specific thing Jesus said about himself. Because to me, it really is a, uh, a pretty revolutionary uh, phrase when you consider what it really means. Jesus said this. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Now, in our Bible, we read about sheep more than any other animal. All right, so we read about cattle 131 times. We read about dogs 41 times. We read about eagles 26 times. Do you want to know how often we read about cats in the Bible? Never. You can spend all day trying to look for cats in the Bible. You will not find them. Cats are a mistake. God regrets making them, all right? But sheep and, she sheep and shepherds, they're referenced around 500 times in our Bible, and it's because they reveal something about the human condition. Right? Sheep need a shepherd. There are other kinds of animals. They, they can get along by themselves. They're wild dogs, wild horses, wild boars. So if there was a truck passing through the Tri-Cities and it spilled over and it had wild animals on there, tigers and lions, they're running around. What are we going to do? We're going to lock our doors. It's going to be the pandemic all over again. We're going into lockdown and until uh, we know it's safe to come out of the houses. But uh, if that truck was carrying sheep, what would happen? Well, we would go get our cell phones, we'd go run out, we'd take selfies, right? we'd take pictures of them, because sheep are, are harmless, they're not threatening at all, they're kind of dumb. They just kind of wander aimlessly. And what's fascinating is that this is how we're compared in the scriptures. The Jewish prophet Isaiah, he writes this, he said, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have all left God's past to follow our own. That's what he says. He says, we're like sheep. Now, a few years ago, there uh, is a village in uh, eastern Turkey where a flock of sheep um, was there, and, and their shepherd wasn't with them. And, and one of the sheep actually walks over the cliff and dies. And what do you suppose the sheep behind it does? Walks over and dies. And then the next one walks over and dies. I'm not making this up. Over 1,500 sheep walk over the cliff and die. More than 450 of them died. And the only reason more did not die, I know this is just bizarre, but the only reason more did not die is because as the sheep bodies were piling up, it had, they, they, they had something to, to cushion their fall, right? You'd think at one point that a sheep would say, hey, Tom went over and Mary went over and, and Johnny went over and they didn't come back. So uh, I'm not going over. But that, that's not what happened. They kept on following And that's the way sheep do things, right? They don't process information. Same is true with us. When we're overstressed and we're hurried, we're exhausted, we're living with no margin, we do not think clearly. And that's when we mindlessly follow what other people want us to do or we just become super independent and do whatever we want to do. I want you to know Jesus understands this. In fact, we read about, uh, we read this, uh, this type of uh, occurrence on multiple occasions in the scriptures where Jesus sees the crowds, has compassion on them. Why? Because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Everybody needs a shepherd. And our shepherd is going to be whoever or whatever we are counting on to take care of us and to watch out for us and to guide us and to give us identity. It's whatever we're looking to for comfort and security in our life, right? That can be friends, it can be validation, 
It can be our definition of success. It can be our accomplishments. It can be alcohol. Now, I know this because this is true of really any church in America. There's plenty of people at Eastlake Church in some sort of recovery program. And I want you to know we celebrate that. There's a lot of people who have this mentality that if someone's in a recovery program, it's because they're weak. And that those who are not in recovery, they're strong because they have not given in to the destructive demon of addiction. I just want you to know it's a lie. The truth is everybody is in recovery because everybody has unhealthy relationships with something that we depend on to lead us, guide us, help, help us, shelter us, right, soothe our pain, things that we look to to make us feel strong and secure and safe and valued. And so your addiction may not be alcohol, but maybe it's approval. And your addiction may not be some sort of drug, but maybe it's in getting attention or respect. Your addiction might not be sex, but maybe it's financial security. It may not be food, but maybe it's uh, success. It might not be nicotine, but maybe it's health and, and fitness. So every one of us, we are in recovery. Every single one of us, we all have different shepherds that we're looking to to guide our life. And often what happens is we follow a shepherd thinking that we're going to find freedom, thinking that we're going to find life, thinking that we're going to find fulfillment, and then we find we've been led to a dead end. And this is why it's important to choose our shepherd carefully. Every one of us are going to inevitably go through seasons in life that we can only classify as the valley of the shadow of death. And in those seasons... I promise you, our career is not going to be a good shepherd. And our accomplishments and the validation we receive from others, all the things that we look to from time to time to be our shepherd, those will not be the good shepherd leading us to where we need to be. And so the good news is, Jesus offers himself as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Sacrifices. That's not part of human nature, is it? Several months ago, I had a, an elderly couple in our uh, church who stopped me in the lobby. And I, I say elderly, they were actually in their mid-60s, so my apologies uh, to those of you at that age group, right? They, they, they weren't that old, but they're in the mid-60s, and they've been dating for a while, they want to get married, and I don't know them, I recognize them, but I, I don't know them, and I said, hey, Pastor Dave, um, do you do weddings? And I knew where they were going. And so I said, you know, with just the complexity of our church with different campuses and my travel schedule, I really do weddings for my close friends and family. I said, here's the deal. If you send me the details for your wedding, what I'll do is I'll forward them to one of our staff members. And we'll make sure somebody does your wedding. And so sure enough, they send me an email. And it says, hey, Pastor Dave, you asked us to send me the email. So uh, we're doing a wedding at Disney World. And we're willing to pay for a pastor and their spouse to come on down. And we'll put them up at the Disney Resort. We'll give them money to go to uh, the, one, one of the parks. And so we just uh, wanted to let you know what it's about. Now, the reason I tell you this story is Orlando was amazing, ladies and gentlemen. It was a great wedding, and we had a lot of fun. Of course, I didn't forward it on. Why? Because I wasn't going to sacrifice that, right? I wasn't giving up that. That's just human nature. You can understand why I didn't want to give that up. But Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus provides for us, cares for us, guides for us, but he also sacrifices us uh, for us, which is a reference to his death on the cross. Jesus actually explains what he means by this term, good shepherd, because it can be a little confusing. He says, hey, listen, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He's going to abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. So, if I've got a side hustle and I'm working at a Shell gas station, someone comes in with a gun, says, give me some cigarettes and alcohol and lotto tickets. I'm going to look at that person and say, come on, bro, 
put down that gun. Here's what I want you to do. Go through this store and like it is a shopping spree. Get as much stuff as you want. I want you to come put it on the counter and I will put it in bags for you and I will walk you out to your car and I will put it in your trunk as if we're at the grocery store because I am not going to take a final courageous stand for this gas station. Matter of fact, we keep the uh, money right here in the uh, cash register. I'm going to lift up the till. I'm going to give you the big dollars underneath the till. All right? Because, again, I'm not going to sacrifice our gas station. And Jesus says, hey, that's what hired hands do. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep. And they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrificed my life for the sheep. I love this. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Not a hired hand. I'm not employed. I'm not doing this because I need a paycheck. You don't have to worry about me bailing when there's trouble or difficulty. And the reason I chose to focus on this today is it's so significant because what Jesus is saying is once you become one of my sheep, once you open your heart to the grace of God, once you transfer confidence from the different shepherds that you've created in your life and chosen to follow in your life, once you've, uh, you've chosen to transfer your confidence from those to who Jesus is and his death on the cross, right, which, which is a reference to his upcoming death on the cross, he says, man, you are safe and secure because uh, I'm going to provide forgiveness of sins once and for all. All the evil, all the wrongdoing, all the sin in life, in your life, right, past, present, and future, it's going to be forgiven. You are going to be secure. He says, if you make me your shepherd, if you place your hope in me, if you place your identity in me, you will find security and meaning and purpose and significance. If you choose to follow other shepherds, what's going to happen inevitably is you're going to feel like you're walking into freedom, but you will not have the freedom you are desiring. Only I can bring that kind of freedom. This is why the final words of Jesus on the cross were, it is finished. I want you to think about the implications of these words as we close. It is finished. Because it is finished, I want you to know you are free from the impossible burden of having earned God's love and acceptance. Because it is finished, there is nothing you can do or fail to do that will cause God to leave you or forsake you or stop loving you. Because it is finished, you cannot sin beyond the coverage of God's grace. Because it is finished, the sins you cannot forget, God chooses not to remember. Because it is finished, you are not going to be defined by your worst moments or your greatest accomplishments. You're not going to be defined by your struggles or your successes or your strengths or your weaknesses. You are going to be defined by who you belong to. Because it is finished, you can talk truthfully about the worst parts of you, of who you are, without fear, because the only person's approval that ultimately matters is God, and you already have it. Because it is finished, you can freely admit when you're wrong. Because your value is not dependent on being right. Because it is finished, you can love others without needing them to love you back because all of the love you need, you already have. Because it is finished, you are free from the pressures of always having to try harder and do more to be okay with God. Jesus is the good shepherd and he lays down his life for the sheep and he offers himself to us as the shepherd. He says, I want you to follow me. And I think sometimes instead of following him, we run from him. And I think sometimes in, in, in instead of following him, we, we just kind of stand there and we look at him and we have a distrust because he said, hey, in following me, what I want you to do is forgive this person to hurt you because that's going to bring true freedom. That's going to bring true security to your life. Hey, I, I want you, I know you're living paycheck to paycheck, but I want you to open up your resources and I want you to learn to be generous and don't just hold on to everything you have. And, and there's this distrust that often we have with Jesus. And he says, hey, I want you to follow me and I want you to love others the way I have loved you. And it's like, but Jesus, do you know what this person did to me? 
And instead of using all of your time on yourself, I want you to selflessly give of, of your time to others. And so there are times that we run from Jesus. There are times that we, we, we struggle even trusting him that is leading us where we, need, we, we ultimately want to end up. And yet he says, I'm telling you, if you trust me to be your shepherd, I will guide you and I will lead you and I will bring freedom into your life, the freedom that really matters. And you will find safety and security in me. And ultimately, that's what we all want. Ultimately, we want that kind of life, a meaningful life, a purpose-filled life, a life where we're not just endlessly finding, where we're constantly finding ourselves walking in dead ends and just as if you follow me. So here's my challenge to you. I want you to pay attention to maybe a restlessness in your heart of where Jesus has been asking you to do something. You kind of have this sense that this is what Jesus wants me to do, but I haven't done it yet. And I want to ask you, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that he is? And if you say, well, he is the good shepherd, then I'm going to challenge you to start following him in the area that you've been most resistant. And maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And you've always said, hey, I'm going to be my own shepherd. Or I'm going to have other people. Be. You don't use those kind of terms, but you're just following other things. Then today, my challenge to you is to open your heart to God and to say, you know what? Today's my day. I'm going to begin to follow Jesus. Let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friends at uh, Eastlake Church. And I pray that uh, each of these individuals, including myself, that each of us would discover and know you in a very real and personal way as the Good Shepherd. And that as we have the uh, ability to identify in our life the things that you're asking us to do, I pray that you would give us the courage to do it. That we would follow you and know you as the Good Shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with Eastlakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching Eastlake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.